and other times, of course, um, people may have been raised in the church, but maybe they just weren't paying attention. And so this is good to kind of think through this. And for others, and perhaps uh, I would consider this to be the case for me, uh, we were raised in a church, but maybe for one reason or another, we, we, we didn't really struggle with things. I was thinking about this or wrestle with things. I was thinking about this around salvation and um, you know, there are, there are some churches in which, you know, maybe you were raised where they never talked about salvation. And so that might be why it would be good. And I think for others, for me at least, um, it's, it's helpful because it helps perhaps to reframe things. I, I have, uh, when it comes especially to the issue of salvation, I would say I have kind of PTSD. And, and by I mean that, I mean post-traumatic salvation disorder. And what that means is while salvation is clearly critical. Uh, in the tradition in which I was raised, whenever we talked about salvation, there was always a lot of guilt and fear that was wrapped up in it. And so whenever I hear, you know, the word Jesus saves, things like that, all things that I believe, okay, don't get nervous, but I also am, am kind of taken back to some of the baggage that I have and how sometimes that would bring up kind of nightmares, you know, and, and constant fear uh, for me. And so it's been helpful to kind of think through salvation uh, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, I think I'm trying to do a lot in this sermon. And so I've, I've already cut out a couple of paragraphs from the nine o'clock. Are you excited about that? And that's good because we took up more time trying to do the microphone. So we will still get out of here at the same time. But so we're going to look at salvation and we're going to look at two different texts. We're going to look at the gospel of Luke and then at a letter to the Ephesians. And so let's... Um, Let's begin by looking at Luke 8, chapters 40, or, uh, chapter 8, verses 43 through 48. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years, and though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed the power had gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had immediately been immediately healed. He said to her daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then Paul, in the letter... The Christians in Ephesus says this, You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who was rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses or sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. 
God, we come to you on this autumnal morning giving you praise. We give you praise that you are the one who saves. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me on this day, that you would open up our ears and our hearts and our minds to you. And I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you know that I made the promise that I would do a quick sermon today uh, for the Colts game. And I realized about halfway through the week that that's really impossible for me. And so I decided that what we would do is we would watch a quick three-minute video. And, uh, and video, um, it gives, this is not satire, it's real, it gives a brief kind of understanding of salvation. And so if at the end of that video you think, you know what, I've got this thing figured out, you can certainly leave right then, okay, and go and catch the rest of the game. Unless you're serving communion, then you have to stay here until the end, okay? So let's watch that video. Tell me what the world's like. When you turn on the news, what do you see? Between all the violence and war and terrorism and the AIDS pandemic and global warming, we've got to say our world's pretty messed up. What's interesting is how we feel about that. Uh, none of us think that that's a great thing. All of us long and ache for a better world. Well, isn't that interesting? Because um, hunger seems to point to the fact that food exists and thirst points to the fact that water or drink exists. So our longing and aching for a better world seems to point to the fact that either a better world did exist or will one day exist. people or the planet started damaging the planet we started damaging our relationship with each other and ultimately we damaged our relationship with God so that the whole thing was damaged by evil well it's great that God actually loves the planet and us too much to leave us that way so even in our brokenness in the Christian worldview 2,000 years ago God came as Jesus and in that, he started to teach us a better way to live and began to tell us about this thing called the reign of God, where all the good things that's supposed to happen actually do. And so he taught us, and in his death, all this crap died with him so that three days later, when he came back to life, there's new life possible throughout everything, throughout the planet, in us, and with each other. And so everything is being restored for better. Well, then what's our response? Well, in this world, that's still messed up. Jesus is starting a revolution, and he's asking us to be healed ourselves in Jesus' name, to be healed in each other, and to go out and heal the planet, and that our mission is to be sent together to heal. Now, how come I can't just jump from here to here? This sounds great. Well, the world's problems are infinite. And we're going to get overwhelmed trying to take care of this on our own. We actually need Jesus' resources so that we can become the kind of good that we want to see on the planet. And that's crucial. So where are you? Are you here where you think the world is peachy? Or here, overwhelmed by the world's problems? 
Or are you here, got some sense of God working in your life, but not involved in his mission? Or you're here, you're trying to actually make this world a better place, relationships and you and everything, but have a hard time finding how God fits into the picture. Where are you? So the question of where are you is a question that we're going to be asking uh, today. Uh, and one of the things I liked about this video, other than the fact that it's just very succinct, it was uh, written by someone from InterVarsity uh, Christian Fellowship, and they deal a lot with college students and trying to figure out what are, what are good ways to kind of make clear the story of salvation. But one of the things I like about that video is that it helps us to kind of leap off of where we were last week. Last week, we were talking a lot about two different stories. And if you were here, you remember this. We talked about the story, and I use this area right here. And this is the story in the circles of his upper left-hand story. This is the story of creation, right? This is a story that tells us this is how God created the world, that God and not us created the world, that we are not at the center of the world, but that God did create us out of his image, that we bear his image, that there's something beautiful in who we are because of the fact that we have been made in the image of God, and that it is in God where we get our meaning and our purpose, our understanding for life, and that God has made us for relationship with him and with us. Others. Okay? But then also, of course, we talked about the reality of this story over here. And this is the Genesis 3 story, the story of the snake, right? And this is a story that is full oftentimes of where we kind of wrestle with the question do we really need God? Do we really need others? Or maybe we can do this on our own. The, the temptations at times that we are the ones who have, who have created this world, that we aren't really dependent upon anything else, that our own meaning and purpose can actually, we, we can conjure that up ourselves. So you've got these two different stories. Ephesians says, I like the way it says, it says that those in this story, that they follow the ruler of the power of the air. Right? And, and what that kind of gets to is that sense that, 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 that the whispers of the serpent are everywhere. As we talked about last week, it can be oftentimes when you go to the mall, or it can be even in the air that is in between your ears, that sense of the questions, the wonders. Maybe this is, maybe this is really the better way for us to live. The evil, it seems to me, as we know, is everywhere. And sometimes we can try to hide from that. Sometimes we think it's not the case. Of course, for those of us who live in Zionsville this week, we were reminded on Wednesdays of the brutal reality that, that, that no place is safe from the, from the secrets and the whisperings of the serpent. That no place is safe from that. But of course, it's not just in, in, when we see murders or robberies. It's also in our hearts. It's greed and self-centeredness at times and, 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 and wrestling with the desire for power or lust or bitterness. All of those things are from here. And so a part of the question then that we ask when we begin to talk about salvation is, what does it look like to get from here over to here? And one of the things I think that's important for us to remember amidst all of this is the reality that whenever it is that we were living into this side of the story, that it actually causes pain to God. Now, I'm not sure how often we think about the fact that what we do brings pain to God. 
Oftentimes, perhaps, we begin to think that, well, God is just so, di- so distant that it doesn't matter. But yet what we've been talking about is the fact that, that God has always been intricately a part of what we're doing. And of course, in the life of Jesus, what do we see when we see talked about God with us? We see a Jesus who is oftentimes grieving over us, who is mourning over us in our actions. And it's a bit, I think, a bit like when you have children. And one of the things that I noticed is that when we had kids and when they were young, younger, um, it was so great because we were always in control of them, right? We would tell them, you sit down, and if they didn't sit down, we would sit them down, right? And you knew what was happening. We were in control. And then school came. And I can remember kind of very vividly that feeling of dropping them off and knowing that there was a sense of freedom that they had now. And I wouldn't see them for six or seven hours, and we had no idea what was happening. Were they following the rules that we had given to them? Were they listening to their teacher? Were they being kind, or were they not? We had no idea, right? And I can remember kind of the first parent-teacher conference and just wondering, well, what are they actually like when we aren't in control? And, and are they obeying still what we've tried to tell them to? And in those moments, if you can believe it, when a teacher or a babysitter, when we've returned to a babysitter and said, how are the kids? And, 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 and the person says, you know, they weren't really that great this time. That, that, that the initial reaction, quite frankly, is one of a bit of anger. But when you begin to dig underneath that a little bit, you realize it's actually underneath that is a sense of pain. Right? A pain that they chose not to follow what you had kind of told them to do. They didn't trust you, but that instead they decided to come over here on this side, if you will, in our own minds at least. And I think it's important for us to remember this when it comes to God. This is the sense of the reality that that sometimes our behaviors, they cause God pain. Right? When I was a kid, whenever I did something that was not what I knew God wanted, and that happened with some frequency, all that would happen is I wouldn't so much feel uh, uh, the sadness about it. I would just feel guilt. I'd feel immense guilt. And look— Guilt is okay to feel at times, right? I mean, it does wonders for children, right? But but ultimately, what you want in your relationship with God is not the sense of, well, because when all you're feeling is guilty, you're really just thinking about yourself by and large, but to ask, in what ways is this causing pain? Because if God loves us, then of course when we aren't following what he wants, it's going to hurt him. So the question then is, as we come to salvation, is that God had a, he had a decision to make. What was he going to do? Should he, should he just kind of start fresh and just kind of wipe this all, all of us out and just say, no, this just didn't work? Or was God going to decide that rather than doing that, what he's going to do, this is what Christians believe, is that he was going to come into the earth in order to recreate, in order to make us new. Right? And this is exactly what we believe that Jesus did. That when Jesus came to the earth, the one who saves, as Ephesians says, that he came in order to recreate us so that we could begin to understand that live into this side of the story. One of the great kind of um, um, images for that, it seems to me, is given to us in the Gospel of John. Do you recall 
how the Gospel of John begins. In the beginning was the Word. The Word, of course, is Jesus. And so John begins his gospel talking about Jesus with the words in the beginning. Now, can you tell me another book of the Bible that begins with the words in the beginning? You guys are like scholars. It's exactly right. In the beginning, what is John telling us? He's not just kind of, he could have used anything. He could have said it starts like this. He could have started it however he wanted to do. But what he wanted to convey was the reality that what Jesus was doing when he came was he was reconnecting us to the way that God had intended things to be in the first place. That that's why Jesus came into the earth. It was a restart, a recreation. And we see it in the miracles that he did. Oftentimes we get, we get stuck in the miracles and we start thinking, well, the only reason he did that was just so that people could be like, wow, he must be special. He must be God or something. But have you thought about the things that he did in the miracles? With the woman who was bleeding that we talked about in Luke, what happened? She was bleeding clearly. Her body was being ravaged by the evils of disease, of something happening, some malady. And what did Jesus do? He He healed her, and he made her body as it had been intended to be when it was created, when it was made, right? Or think about relationships. What is Jesus always doing? He was always getting in trouble because he was going out and finding the people who were alone, the people who were lonely, the people who were on the margins, the outcast, right? We've got great banquet going on right now. And what is that? The parable of, of the reality of going out there and finding all sorts that are out there. And what did Jesus do? He invited them, right? In the parable, you invite them to a meal. You invite them into community in order to be in relationship. Where were we created to be in relationship? right here. That's why God created us. Jesus is taking those on the outside and bringing them here. Or even spiritually, right? When the Nicodemus comes and Nicodemus says, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you need to be born again as if made new. And that's why I am here in order to make you new. The question of what Jesus is doing, Jesus is coming down in order to recreate and take us into this new story. Now, The question, of course, that always comes out of that is how exactly does that happen? And there are so many different ideas about this, and Scripture talks about it in different ways as being that that we were ransomed. Others says that we were substituted uh, for him. Others say that, that that the cross kind of, that it killed this side of the story. There's lots of different ways for us to try to think about it. But this week, one of the things that kind of stood out to me, and so I'll just focus on this briefly, is what Tim Keller said. Tim Keller says that forgiveness is a form of suffering. Forgiveness is a form of suffering. Now, what, is, what does that mean exactly? Well, as I thought about that, I was reminded of a friend of mine who is my age, basically. And, and when he was a teenager, a young teenager, uh, his father left his mother and his parents had got a divorce. And, and so this, this, this kid, he, um, it had been about three months after his father had left. And the father was um, talking to him and he said, you know, when are you going to get over this? When are you going to kind of just move on? 
right? It's time to move on. And, and, and of course, that struck my friend as not being exactly the most empathetic of things. And, but it, it made me think of a couple things. One is, is the reality, of course, that the father was, was in some pain as well. And, and he wanted to. The hope is, as soon as he could be forgiven, then he could just move on, just kind of smooth over it. Can we just kind of glide right like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And so one of, the, one of the things that reminds us of, of course, is that, of course, with broken relationship, whether it's with others or with God, it's no small thing that there is much pain that occurs. But the other thing that my friend has been able to express to me since then, he wasn't able to do it three months after the divorce, but later than that, he was able finally to forgive his father. But here's the thing about that. And if you can think back to a time when you have had to forgive somebody of something of real heft, it is this reality that when you forgive somebody for that, in many ways what you are doing is you are releasing their pain. But oftentimes that means that you are putting it on yourself. The reality for my friend is, is that he took that pain, but of course that was not easy for him. Because what do we want to do? Well, we want to wait until the person who has inflicted pain upon us until it's equitable, right? You want to hold it over until you feel just as much pain as I do. But when my friend said, no, at this point, I can take that weight, then he puts it on himself. And that is, as Keller goes on to say, that is a death of sorts. And I would suggest that anyone who has had to forgive somebody for something that was incredibly difficult or dark, that it is a death. It is a death of sorts to say, I am not going to hold this over you any longer. I am going to release you of that. And in many ways, this is exactly what we believe that Jesus has done in his death and in his resurrection. That Jesus has said, I am going to take this off of you. You. I am going to take this suffering and pain that you are in because of what you have done, and I am going to take it off of you. But that, brothers and sisters, as you know, because we talk about it with some regularity, that is, as Ephesians 2 tells us, that is a gift. That is grace. That this saving from here to here. This forgiveness is done only as a gift of grace to us, which is so difficult for us to accept. I can sit up here. It's one of the things I talked about last night. I I spoke to some of the great banquet community, and I said, what makes this hard is that I can talk about it until the cows come home. But the reality is, and what great banquet does a great job of us is, is is until you experience it, it's really hard to understand it. But a part of the reason why we struggle with it is, A, sometimes it's hard because we don't think we actually need it. Right? If you've ever tried to forgive somebody who didn't think they needed to be forgiven, you know how difficult that is, right? I forgive you. Uh, I don't need it. I forgive you. I didn't do anything wrong. You cannot force forgiveness on someone who doesn't think that they need it. But the second reason, of course, and this is perhaps the strongest reason, is because we still want to earn it. Because if you just receive it, You are admitting that you have caused some kind of pain to the other. 
Right? And it's hard for us to do that. So what do we want to do? Here's the image that I had that came up in my mind uh, this week. It is the image of Jesus saying, okay, here is this gift. Here is this gift of grace and forgiveness. Here, you take it. And us say, no, 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 no. All right, Jesus. There's a shelf. You see that shelf? That's great. Put that package on the shelf. And then put a price tag on I don't care what it is. If it's $5,000, put that down there. If it's loving my neighbor, put that down there. If it's coming to worship in the middle of a Colts game, put that down there. Whatever it is, I don't care. Just put a price on it because that we get. We want to earn it. If you give us that, there's the goal. Just tell me what it is. We'll do it. And then that way, it's an equal transaction. I give you something. You give me something. It's perfect. And Jesus keeps saying, no, no, no. I will not put it on the shelf. I've already put it on the cross, and that's where it's staying. This is a gift to you. But we have to be able to receive that gift. But what I have discovered, because I didn't get this much when I was a kid, even even when I believed Jesus saved me and put me in this side of the story— I still wrestled with it because I didn't understand that it was a gift. And it's only as I've begun to understand that gift more and more that I've begun to live with joy because of that. Because, of course, as soon as you believe, no, I just got to keep earning this, got to keep earning this, got to keep earning this, there is no joy in that. There is none. You can never reach it. But when you begin to believe that you've received this and there's joy, now that doesn't mean that you just stay here all the time. Most of us wrestle with this, right? I spend time, right, where you're, you're kind of here, you're feeling good. All right, yeah, the, I've received that grace. But then there are times when you hear stories over here and you, you hear the whispers. And there may be times even when you only have one toe that is over here and Jesus is holding on to that one toe saying, no, 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 no. I created you. I love you. You are beautiful right here. You don't have to go back here. You can stay here. But one of the critical parts of this story of salvation that I never really understood when I was growing up, because it was never, as far as I can recall, taught to me, quite frankly, is this. That when you are saved, you are not, as some say, saved just for your soul. You are saved as a whole, W-H-O-L-E, which means that salvation is about much more than just who I am and my own personal salvation. It is about the fact that once you are in this world and you begin to see the joy of this world, that you begin to ask, what are the other ways that we can bring a new creation? How can we partner with what Jesus is doing, whether that's by doing things like we do in the food pantry or with the Jeremiah house or with Shepherd Community, whether it's helping to connect people in relationships, whatever it may be. It's introducing people to this great story of the gospel, whatever it is. That's a part of our call of living within the salvation story. C.S. Lewis says all too often people think about this salvation and they, they, they begin to think about it. It's kind of like if you were given a bat, a baseball bat, and all you did was you just went home and you just swung it in your room. And you're like, this is great. That's not the point. 
The point is, of course, that the baseball bat is only good whenever you're out there and you're using it as a part of a game, as a larger game. And salvation, too, oftentimes we just have people who are kind of like sitting here in their little holy huddle, as they say, and they're over here. Didn't mean to bring up huddle, get you guys thinking. But over here, right? No, salvation is about seeing. Once you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, it is about then saying, now where else can we bring this goodness? That's my hope and my prayer always here at ZPC, to believe that Jesus' name, which means he saves, is true for me, it's true for you, it's true for the structures of our world, it's true for our community, it's true for the globe, it's true for everything. So what can we do with joy? How can we go out and be a part of the salvation which we have received so freely? It's a part of the reason why we do this every single month. We come, Scott, feel free to come up. We come here every single month in order to remember how Jesus died and was raised for us. How he took our suffering as his own. And so we gather here this morning in order to take of the bread and the cup. And I know that it is not always easy to believe. Sorry, Scott, I called you up here. No, just stay. You're doing a great job. Just to, I know. See, his Sabbath is over, so I just want him standing up here no matter what. I, I know that sometimes it is hard for us to believe this. We have our own doubts. We have the doubts from others, as we talked about last week. And so we do this. We come to this table in order to be assured Knowing, remembering that access to this table is not a right conferred upon the worthy. It is a privilege that is given to the undeserving. And even if you are struggling this day, where do I? Am I really a part of this story over here? Even if you are struggling this day, that you can come to this table in order to be assured of God's grace and love in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Because we're assured of God's grace, let us pray to uh, ask God's blessing upon this. Almighty God, we give you thanks for this grace, even thanks for this meal. God, we realize without your grace, we can do nothing in our own strength. God, you give us the salvation where we are, where we're in need, where we feel pulled back into the world, but you hold on to us. God, you call us back even this morning. Through this meal where the bread and the cup nourishes us and brings us back to you. Help us to offer even our own hearts and even our very lives to you as we partake of this meal. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.